0: Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive.
1: Yeah. And you know what? We've been doing so much talking about what we're going to talk about today, and we'll talk down already. No, actually, <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> actually <Oops. laughs> we have a lot of very interesting stuff that's coming up and. We have written so many articles uh, on what we've been talking about. And interesting, we had to dust them off and take a look at them. And sure enough, they're so relevant for what we've been doing here that we want to begin to talk about those and make them available to you. Articles, am I right? Yes. Yeah, and honestly, you know, we do so much work and so much moves along with us that some of this good stuff just gets put to the, the sidelines after we really... Do the work on it and emphasize it for a while, and we have so much good stuff and every time I look at it i'm i 'm blown away by how good it is and um, It reminds me of things that uh that we 've talked about that we 've written about that we 've done videos f- uh, yeah
0: we did videos we did presentations that kind of the backstory on this today is that last week we were talking about uh, particularly first responders Mm -hmm. and uh, the trauma and stress that they go through and how it affects them, how it can lead to compassion fatigue and burnout, um, what they need to do to take care of themselves and preserve themselves. And and we can review a little bit more of that in a moment, but one of the things that really jumped out at me since that time Mm -hmm. was a statistic that Sue Farron and Ron Schull of First Responders Resiliency, Inc., brought to our attention, which is, and this is a shocking statistic, that of the families of first responders, mm. uh, the divorce rate is 80%. Now, I found
1: that shocking. I thought 70% was always in my mind, and I always found that shocking. But 80% is...
0: That's not acceptable.
1: Absolutely not. And But understanding what caregivers go through, and first responders fall under the category of caregivers. They're a caregiver, that's right. And I'll talk about the difference in a minute, because they have their own unique...
0: There's a different side, yes.
1: Yeah. Then um, the caregivers that are at a person's side who are dying, and they're taking care of them, Uh, first responders are a little different than that. Although they have the same heart, um, they have incredible training, they are usually very empathic people under the surface yes um and they're very responsive extremely responsive uh only there's one difference they're all tough guys and -hmm. then women too Mm because i know plenty of women are uh, that are the first responders they're fabulous and i know a lot of them are uh, friends of mine they're tough but underneath there is soft-hearted and loving and caring as, in a unique way uh because it's not something that you see every day, these kind of people. The caregivers, the first, they're different. They're unique.
0: It's a unique call- calling. You've calling. called them diamonds in the rough.
1: Yes, they are diamonds in the rough. We have one on our team that we love, and she is this outstanding. That's Kelly. I yeah. call her my angel, who, diamond in the rough. Yes. And she's incredible. And she was a first responder. She was, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I. I love I love them. They're my. F- they're for me. They've been always my favorite people, favorite group of uh, professionals, semi professionals to work with because they're so down to earth. They are. And in some ways, they're so flawed, just like us. Just like us. Um, so I I I feel that talking more toward their direction falls right under the caregiving um, category that we've been talking about in ways to. For caregivers to become aware of, to preserve themselves. To preserve <coughs> themselves
0: and to preserve their relationships. And their relationships. And so when we were thinking about, when I when we were thinking about this uh, topic mm. and this statistic, this mm-hmm. very troubling pattern that is that, that uh, Sue and Ron mm-hmm. brought us our attention to, I remembered uh, that a number of years ago we were doing something called Resilience Café. Um, which was a, a kind of a meeting that we put together for the community to come in and talk about resilience topics, and one of the themes, one of the topics that we covered was re- relationships and trauma. And I think at the time we were, we were, our focus of what we were doing was more on veterans and service members, and uh, who were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and and how were their, as they came home, how were their relationships. Uh, with their their loved ones their family affected by their experiences what were the things that were going on that were um, troubling their relationships uh, what was happening for them and for the loved ones here but this is very applicable (laughs) to the experience of first responders as well and so we dug out of the archives uh, some of the things we wrote about relationships and trauma.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because ta- she's got a much better memory than I do.
0: It's the engineer coming in. It, it
1: doesn't matter. It's great. It's, <laughs> I'm thank, I thank God for her because we have so much on our plate, and I do, and she does, but she remembers a lot. But, you know, one of the things that I do remember as you're talking is we were also dealing with the Navy SEALs. Is that at the same time? Yes. Okay. We haven't seen any damage or wounded Navy SEALs in a, in a while, but we used to.
0: Yeah.
1: And... Um, one of the things, by the way, they are as tough as they are. Not all of them, but a lot of them, the ones that we knew, were very empathic type of people. They were into. They did a lot of things to, to save people. But one of the things they have, they are true diamonds in the rough, under the most horrible conditions. But so are a lot of first responders under horrible conditions. I
0: think one theme that goes through that is being willing to be sacrificial. Uh, Navy SEALs, first responders, medics, they're out there for, not for themselves, but for someone else. And
1: they're putting themselves on the front lines of danger
0: yeah. to
1: save others, to help others. Um, I always found them pretty amazing. I liked it because they were down to earth, too, and I liked that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to deal with the clinical edge of them. And no. I liked that, too. So there was that attitude wasn't there.
0: No, yes.
1: But anyway... Um, as as you're talking I remember now that we were we were dealing with the same issues I think I remember mostly with Navy seals
0: There was also uh I remember we had a couple of of people come into the practice who were returning from Iraq and Afghanistan That's right that's right and I mean, I having a very hard time coming back to a marriage a relationship and the partner here at home being just absolutely lost As to what is going on. I remember that. You know, it's really
1: ironic. You know the movie I watched on TV last night after his caregiving?
0: Oh, yeah. What was it? It
1: was, um, what's his name? We knew his twin brother, Morgan Luttrell. Um, Oh,
0: Marcus. Lone survivor. Lone
1: survivor. And um, it's a true story of Marcus being the only survivor. Yeah. And uh, it's a horrible, terrible, traumatic story. Yes. Um, interestingly, we never met Marcus, but we know his brother, uh, as a Navy SEAL who retired, and we
0: met him at a conference.
1: Mm-hmm. A good man. But it, when I watched that last night, I'm thinking to myself, how do these guys come back to normal living after what they've been through and what they've experienced, which is so extraordinary? Um, seeing their all their fr- in this case, all of his friends were killed. He was the only survivor. He died on the table when they finally brought him back.
0: Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah.
1: And, uh, but I think about it, and I, I know I've heard him speak at conferences. <clears throat> I never met him personally. But I'll tell you something. I look at that, and I'm thinking to myself, what does that do to a person's family, relationships, when they come back yeah. after going through all of that? Well, first responders go through incredible trauma themselves. Um, you know, they're, they're empathic folks, they're tough, they're strong, they're on the front lines, they don't even miss a miss a beat. They're so quick to respond. But it affects them. And, you know, I, I know when I've trained with them, not trained them, but trained with them. I was invited to a, tra- a, a training with them, and I was honored to be the only uh, civilian out of that. Mm-hmm. But I remember looking, listening to certain things about their culture that disturbed me. And some of them were friends of mine, so I know it's true. And there was part of, built into the culture to the culture at that time. And this may have changed. I think it has. I hope it
0: I, is. Yeah, hopefully.
1: But I do remember uh, they talked about after a very bad traumatic call or whatever, and boy, did they get in on the worst of it. They all talked about going out and having a drink afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of these first responders in that group, they didn't mean to drink. They were alcoholics, and they were also using drugs. And um, their relationships were a mess. Their relationships after these traumas with their team manifested trouble. Um, there was a lot of conflicts. A conflict in the team. Mm-hmm. And there was also at that time a stigma about being vulnerable and uh, being emotionally wounded. And I remember one of my friends, who's a, a chief now. I love her. She is quite a woman. And I know her, her husband. He's a, another first responder. They're both tied into the fire departments now. Um, one's a captain, and the other's going to be a chief, a battalion chief. But you know what's interesting about it? Even during those trainings, I remember her saying, "Look, we can't have people be let down and be vulnerable because then they don't become re- they're not reliable. They won't when we be need reliable them. anymore. So the The stigma to the whole team was, this is not a safe place to be vulnerable. To me, that was a red flag, even then. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember speaking up at that and going, that's that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about someone becoming so ineffectual. When that happens, you have to pull them off the team anyway. We do it with caregivers. Um, We're not talking about that. We're talking about... What we talk about today is people need to learn to push the pause button. And we talk about that in other episodes. And that means at the time, you better, you better be totally on for what's going on in the trauma. And you can't be vulnerable. But you're absorbing the trauma, either secondarily or you know, vicariously. You're taking it on. And it has an energy to it that affects everything else you do. If these folks don't have a place to let down and get help in processing through the intensity and the energy of these traumas, it's going to affect everything in their life. And it creates problems, okay? Well, that stigma at the time, I wouldn't say it alarmed me because I know these people are good people. What it did is concern me because I'm sitting there going, boy, are they off base. Other than having somebody who's falling apart on them, in the face of real traumatic situations that's not acceptable that would be pushing at that point calling it push the pause but not the pause button the off button mm-hmm. there is no vulnerability
0: okay we're, we're going real fast here and we need to take a break so let's stop for a moment Because I think we'll kind of, when we come back, let's back up a bit, because we said so much in just the last minute or so. Okay, and
1: I want you to back me up, and I want to hear from you, too. I want you to, because you know so much about this.
0: Yes, I will. You bet. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Our topic today is we're continuing um, on a bit from our last podcast in talking about the effect of uh, stress and trauma on first responders and how it can affect resiliency. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking last time, uh, reviewing just a bit about compassion fatigue, burnout. Uh, and expanding today into the effects that uh, extreme stress and trauma can have on relationships. Um, we Just before the break, we were getting into some of the specifics of the culture around first responders, and Peter uh, was part of a training, was invited to be part of a training, and has really good friends who are in first responders, They're diamonds in the rough. Uh, however, at, and we don't know. You know, we hope that things have changed. But at that time, certainly, there was a somewhat of a stigma against uh, having admitting that uh, certain experiences on the front lines as a first responder affected would have an effect, have a lasting emotional effect. That that was not necessarily safe or okay to admit.
1: It was the same stigma we saw with the Navy SEALs remember we had to be really we we diffused so much of our at that time i'm really we learned a lot about forget about calling me dr bernstein unless they were really caught up in that some of them wanted to but we really had to de we had to find some way to decompress the edge the clinical edge um we didn't want to we didn't want that to to go on but one of the things we found with navy seals is they found they saw vulnerability as a threat and a weakness yeah and uh, to them that was dangerous
0: I think at that point one of the things that was when we really learned to stop calling it PTSD That's right. and call it PTS because justifiably so the SEALs felt that what ha- their experience and what happened to them was not a disorder that that was part of the stigma do you
1: remember how many of them would correct us on that I remember yeah. we went to a conference with them and that was a big issue we agreed with them and I still do Yes. Now I know the world of psychiatry doesn't, but that's not, that doesn't faze me. What really is important is the frontline work and what we can do to uh, um, be there at their side and get them through these difficulties. If the stigma is that intense, then it's, I think it's up to us to diffuse it. It's up to us to find ways to diffuse it. There's also misunderstandings. <laughs> We ran into it too. Yes, it, and
0: it, you were just going into those before our break, and and I'll just give you, give a, a quick picture. We were talking about um, how it can be interpreted uh, as being uh, for someone who's been affected, a first responder who's been affected by a particularly stressful call, uh, and has lingering emotional effects from it that that can be interpreted by their team as uh, that they're maybe not reliable anymore, uh, that they, they may not uh, be as strong or will not be strong in the moment when they're needed. Um, it can lead to, you said, conflicts, mm-hmm. uh, and, and first responders end up feeling like they don't have a safe place to work through some of these things.
1: That's right. I know that I've ran I've run into that in police departments. I know a fellow that was a detective with the, that had to leave after many years, because he did have he did have PTSD. I remember it, and um, but he couldn't express it when he did. He became kind of a person to stay away from. I almost remember. like
0: someone who <coughs> has an infectious, mm-hmm. almost that feeling of if I get too close to this, it's going. I I may end up going that way too.
1: He was treated that way. And he did have PTSD. I know him. So it's not that um, that that's not an issue, because if it comes out in the wrong ways, I mean, it definitely can interfere with his effectiveness. With the guy I'm thinking of, I bet you did. What was I saying? We
0: were talking about um, how uh, when one member of a team of first responders, policemen, starts to feel kind of affected, yes. the others can go like, I don't want to get, he's like he's sick. I don't want to go there. He
1: was treated that way. And I know he was. Yeah. And I remember he did need help. I know him to this day he still needs help but the way he was ostracized and um, people began to avoid him and treat him differently added to the problem do I I don't know I wasn't there to know if he became so dysfunctional he wasn't reliable anymore I don't know but I do know he was not well he wasn't worked with and it left that's left him damaged I know it has he's got a certain sense of shame now about that and uh but we saw it, I, we've seen it before it's not like this is anything new you know what I do remember, I think we Steve and I went to a conference it was uh, with the with the Joint Chiefs of Staff or I can't remember where it was but it was in San Francisco it was a military conference, was it Marines? I can't remember was it Brain at War? was it Brain at War? Yeah. yeah and you know what I remember, they were doing a lot of work and uh, I know the SEALs adopted to some of it where they were going to emphasize the need for mental health support and all of these things. And um, I was listening, and it was almost right out of the book. And it was putting me off, to be honest with you. But the overall is they were going to dictate in some ways, now we're going to take a new approach. We're going to be open, and we're going to emphasize mental health and support for PTS and yada yada. And I remember thinking, now, I just was at a Navy SEAL conference, and I'm sure this information never got there because they wouldn't buy it for a minute. And I, I remember talking to a guy who was a retired um, general who was on the Joint Chiefs. Said, you know what he said to me? Oh, the SEALs are different. This doesn't apply to them. And I'm thinking to myself, "Yeah, that's a problem right there. Something's wrong. It's very hard to change a culture. Very hard. Very hard. And you can't just dictate the kind of change we're talking about. I know that first responders have a culture that's not that different.
0: And as Sue and Ron, that we were mentioning earlier, uh, they said that that culture is still somewhat in place.
1: Right. And they're doing a lot of new work to to take the sting out of it, too. In fact, we hope to take, take more of the clinical sting out of it. Yeah. But I hope they're right to be honest, I don't think it's an easy job to take I know too many first responders um they're good people the ones that I know but boy there's certain attitudes that are embedded in them and it's kind of hard to change that I think it need, I know it needs to be changed mm-hmm. um I know our our concepts of pushing the pause button pushing the on button when you it's okay to be open and vulnerable and pushing the off button mm-hmm. which means there is no way for any vulnerability right now. It's too dangerous. That those concepts are not just concepts. They're applicable in real life. They're skills. They're skills that have to be learned. The pause button is the most important. And the reason is because it's it's a way for folks to know at the time you can't be wide open and vulnerable. And if you're hurting, you better put it aside. There's more there's things that are in your that are demanding your attention, and they're dangerous, there's emergencies, there's crises, and whatever your problems are, put them aside. But don't ignore them. Don't avoid them and pretend they're not there. Because on this kind of work, you can't avoid being triggered. You can't avoid absorbing the energy of these challenging, very intense situations. Anybody who thinks they can is they're 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 living in a, a, a delusion. You can't, but you got to know how it's affecting you when it's happening. You got to know that your body's absorbing these this energy and these things, mm-hmm. and that you're going to have to deal with it, or it's going to have a cumulative effect to eventually lead to compassion fatigue, which everybody gets. To the worst one is burnout.
0: It'd be burnout.
1: And we have seen. I have seen more first responders burn out. They start getting physically getting injuries get sick um cancer is very common in first responders yes by yes that that's was the another kind of, thing there's a very high re-
0: the chronic chronic disease is another very high risk very for high first responders
1: compared to the general population it's yes much higher. that's what we've heard too they also they're drinking i have seen it enough times to see it just begins to accelerate and they're not just going out for a drink they're drinking on all time they can they're drinking and I see how they, I've seen good friends of mine deteriorate and it's broken my heart because mm-hmm. we're talking about good, effective, important people. Um, not on the hierarchy, but frontline value. Yes. Oh, they're very valuable.
0: And and what, what we're kind of seeing through all of this, um, we talked about the pause button and not the off button, which would be to be just totally shut down, disconnected from your feelings. And in that role, it would be to not care, to not care about the people that you're there to serve. And that's not where first responders want to be, but that is where you end up in burnout, as you stop caring. Mm-hmm. And to, to intervene before you get to that point. And one thing I do here, and all the things that we're talking about, is this effort to control. Control these overwhelming feelings and sensations that come up from the experience, right. the intense experiences that first responders go to, uh, the the horrific accidents they can be called to, the tragedies for families, for children, for what they see. I get it that they come back home or they come back to the station, <clears throat> and what they are left with is an incredible emotional burden
1: and exhaustion
0: and exhaustion physical exhaustion and emotional burdens and how can they talk about it how if they don't want to how can they instead control it so that it stays under wraps that's a good question
1: you that know but you're talking about something that we've talked about before with caregivers of all kinds yes is that that feeling of powerlessness that we come, finally come up against is that we're involved in such overwhelming situations that we don't always have answers for and we can't we can't overcome what's coming at us it's so in- intense it's traumatizing and um when that kind of thing happens I, I can we need to speak as all for all caregivers not just for first responders that's when we have to that's when we run into ourselves because most of us are there because we want to be impactful and effective in helping others and we're running up against a lot of situations where we may not be able to or the situations are so dire we can only do so much so that sense of powerlessness we all run into it. It kind of levels the, it levels us, and it throws us back on ourselves, and that's the hard part because then we have to look at ourselves and the pain that we may have, that we carry personally, the pain of other tra- traumatizing situations we may have worked with or been involved with in our own lives. I don't know too many caregivers and first responders that haven't had their own personal traumas.
0: You're bringing in a new topic. And so I'm, I'm going to say let's let's do a, a break and come back to that. Sure. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Mm. Uh, In our last segment, uh, and again, we are talking about first responders and the emotional burdens and physical exhaustion that they can feel through their work, how important it is for them to be able to have these skills that we're talking about, to push the pause button when they are on the line, uh, and their emotions, uh, and what is right in front of them can be overwhelming, but then how essential it is for them to come back and, and work through, deal with some of those emotions. Um, just before our break, uh, Peter, you brought in another aspect to this, which is um, uh, this feeling of powerlessness in the face of tragedy that uh, a caring, compassionate caregiver or first responder feels, uh, how they wish they could make things turn out differently, and they can't. And they want to help, and they're thrown back on themselves, you said. Yeah. And then up can come their own pain.
1: And I'll tell you something, the pain is excruciating. When you're in that vulnerable place of feeling powerless, you're also feeling defensive, defenseless, or less defended than normally. and. I'll tell you something, the pain is unbearable. That is the truth. Emotionality, the emotional component to these things is unbearable. And we know because we help people recover from trauma. At our institute, we work with people all the time. We know how to do it. When I think about it, and I realize the kind of pain these folks carry, um, it's one of the core of this show. And that is we want to help you. We want to offer you tools and hope that you can get through it. Um, The problem, what I see, is uh, a lot of people turn to drinking and drugs. And also, they turn on their relationships, personal relationships. And they do a lot of damage. And that's the sad part. Because sometimes by the time we're brought in, it's too late. Sometimes they're just, damage has been too much. Um... A lot of times we have been able to be effective, but not always. We wanna we wanna let people to know we want them to be aware that this is these things can be addressed. You started the show today by talking about families and relationships, and I think I, I remember now the videos that we have done on it and how impactful they are when I listen to them again. Yeah, I think it's a very relevant issue. We've written papers on it that we have available to people. First responders, divorce rates are eighty percent.
0: Yeah, that is. Can you imagine the kind of
1: pain and destructiveness that has been acted out to cause that kind of statistic?
0: Well, it could be that, or it could be a withdrawal, an unavailability of from this partner coming home. I can imagine, uh, as a first responder, that they would come home from something horrible, and in their maybe even in the best interest of their family, they say I. They feel like. I cannot I'm not gonna put this on my family I don't want them to know the horrible things I've gone through they can't aren't equipped to handle it or I can't talk about this and they end up isolating themselves cutting themselves off Uh, they may another thing we talk about is that when we don't want to feel pain we need we tend to take control and not feel anything. We don't want to feel anything. If we feel anything we will feel that pain.
1: Well, You said a lot of times it goes through their minds and our minds and I won't claim this for myself because I don't do this anymore and I haven't for years. We don't want want to burden our partners. We don't want to burden our families. I'll tell you what it really has come out to most of the time. We've seen it in work. It's we don't want to deal with the pain that we're carrying and have to face that. Yes. That's really what it's about most of the time. Yes, we've had. I remember families from the Navy Seals came in, and they were oh, they were just the partners felt alone, isolated, cut off. They felt powerless. They couldn't reach their partners, who were the at that time Navy Seals. But I've seen it first responders as well, and the marriages are the pain. <laughs> and the conflict uh
0: we think we'd say we're, we're saving we're being thoughtful of our partners or our families but in fact it's mm-hmm. a way for us to avoid
1: a lot of times and i remember yeah. that came up every time It did i didn't see too many partners that said i don't want to hear this i can't stand it i don't want to do. yeah no most the, the partners
0: time, say where are you when you're home you're not even here
1: talk to me how many times do we hear people wives and uh but most of the times wives or partners saying, talk to me mm-hmm. i i need to hear where you are you're cutting me off
0: yeah yeah i and, can tell you're not doing well and i need to know what's going on i want to know
1: and uh or you're not here
0: yeah
1: and steve mentioned earlier i was talking about um lone survivor the other movie that came out remember was called american sniper right that was a core and that's a true story in fact i know because we're involved with the seals at that time the guy who was incredible it was uh kyle
0: chris kyle chris kyle Kyle. Mm -hmm.
1: and in the movie portrayed it he went on so many missions and had seen so much trauma that he couldn't relate to his wife he couldn't relate to his kids and she
0: was particularly if i remember right she was particularly verbal about that she was really clear i don't think she took the thought she was doing something wrong and she really spoke up about it
1: but she couldn't reach him
0: but she still couldn't reach him yeah
1: I think one of the themes in that story is how unreachable Chris Kyle became, he became. and his wife loved him. Yeah. And He loved her too, but he couldn't relate uh, to her anymore. He couldn't relate to home life. He saw everything as war zone. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the episodes, one of the parts in the movie where he was at a, uh, a community gathering with the kids, and he saw a dog playing, and they were roughhousing, mm-hmm. and and it triggered off something about what he had seen in Afghanistan, and he went to kill the dog. And he, he, he scared everybody in the whole uh, the whole party, and his wife had to jump in. She screamed. He was kind of in a different place. He didn't even know what he was doing. Right. And she jolted him. Mm-hmm. And that's when he finally considered getting a little help. It wasn't very effective help as far as I'm concerned. But we seen this too many times. She couldn't reach him. I've had friends that have been. I, we had one on our show, uh, who's very transparent, Randy. Yes, uh, Randy. Randy. Yeah. And I remember us talking about after being in, uh, was it Afghanistan or
0: it was either Kazakhstan? You know, it was Iraq or Syria. He was up in that area.
1: But he had been out out in the front lines for a long time, and he had a lovely wife at home. She loved him. Mm-hmm. I was there when he when he f- came back. And she was crying. He couldn't, she couldn't get him to relate. And he had a good life. They love each other. Mm -hmm. Beautiful woman, have a good life. She
0: totally supports what he's doing.
1: And he could not, he says, how can I, I can't even turn on the water where I've been and I come home and I can't even relate to having running water.
0: That I can drink.
1: That I can drink and that's right. I remember we talked about it right here on the show. Yeah. And he could not relate to Sharon, and she's a really good woman. Yeah. He knew it, but you know what? I saw him. He was blank. Yeah. He couldn't. She was in tears right with me. She says, "I can't. I, how do I reach him? I can't reach him." Mm-hmm. She reached out to me, and I looked at. He was blank. Yeah. And he says, "How can I relate to all this after I've been, in you know, wherever he was in mm-hmm. Kazakhstan, and seeing all the horrible." trauma that these people have gone through and I come home and I have this beautiful wife and good life. It's a survivor's guilt. He could not get beyond it.
0: And in our our metaphor, he has pushed the pause button and he's still there. He has not gotten that taken care of.
1: Right. And I remember he admitted it because we, I think, did we have him on a second show? We did. And he, that was... A while later.
0: It was a while later, and he said, "Yes, it took me a certain amount of time to be able to come back and really be home and let down."
1: And he he did. I but said. he does.
0: He says, "I know I do it." He says, "It just takes a while." Sometimes. And he was very
1: transparent about it. Yeah.
0: He's an amazing
1: guy. Spent a lot of time in the front line with our troops, with survivors of war, just amazing. Uh, refugee camps. Yeah. <clears throat> he's an amazing man, but he's not that different from first responders, caregivers. Navy SEALs, Marines, you name it. We, th- that that ab- ab- ability to just let it go and come back to our lives and just relate and, you know, work through our pain and just be, that's not that easy.
0: No, it's not.
1: And one of the things in personal relationships, and you, you and I know it because we've seen this with people, is they become a threat. What's the threat? The threat is intimacy and closeness. yes brings a lot out of people they begin to soften they begin to let down and they can't handle it because where they've been that's a dangerous thing to do
0: it is it's a vulnerability that they can't indulge when they're on the line front line
1: and their nervous system is been distorted it's been stuck it's stuck so in other words their natural intuitive responses are still locked into
0: hyper alert
1: mm-hmm. yep and yep. it just doesn't shift yeah. so you come home to a relationships with this love and caring that's a threat because all of a sudden people begin to feel mm-hmm. and they begin to feel what they've been through they begin to feel what's been locked up inside of them and they don't want to and
0: they can feel like they're going to spiral out of control they're afraid. they can feel overwhelmed
1: and it is overwhelming it can be if it's a cumulative, if it's cumulative it, it is so we need to put the message out that this can be worked out and the the message is there's a time and a place to let these things get discharged and, and, and cleansed and your nervous system will come back to a a normal st- relatively normal state where it can shift and um, it doesn't feel like it's got to be on hyper alert it takes time it takes work it's very it is doable um, but we're seeing too much of the opposite Where folks, don't do it. And let me tell you, you can sit there and counsel them all day long. And one of the things we've found, and you know this, you've been there with me, is, well, yes, you're to death because they're so obedient, but when it really comes down to it, those emotions are so loud and so overwhelming that the energy behind it is so intense that no matter how you counsel them, that's what they keep running up against, that yeah. locked-up energy.
0: It's in their body. It's in, uh, we talk about that frequently. And
1: we do, about caregivers. Because it's essential. It's so important for them to access. Of course, your body holds a, <coughs> holds a trauma.
0: Yeah, you've, you've described the body uh, as the reservoir of the unconscious. It holds all of those... Uh, and there's a it's it's a biological process. It's the way our bodies work. It's actually it's really actually a safety uh, mechanism in our body to help us survive the very dangerous experiences that we go through. Uh, We've used the metaphor of uh, a deer, and let's uh, maybe come back to that here. But first, what we're going to do is Peter's going to have a cough drop, and I'm going to say you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, In our last segment, we got into a little bit more of the direct relationship between trauma and high-stress Uh, for first responders and how it affects our relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking about um, the desire not to deal with some of these emotions um, because they can be so overwhelming. Um, We may say we don't want to burden the people we love, but really we just don't want to go through this ourselves or first responders may not want to. Uh, We were talking just before the break about um, sort of our biological response to Uh, sort of a survival mechanism that's built into us when we encounter overwhelming threat Mm -hmm. Uh, and how we go on the first stage is a hyper alert stage and how many first responders it's a necessary stage in in dealing with very difficult situations but then how many uh, first responders and others can get stuck in hyper alert and don't really know or understand the process of how to bring themselves back down to a normal state and how essential how how an essential part of our work this has been through the years
1: yeah well you were talking just also too before the break about the analogy of a deer yes well their primitive nervous system and primitive brain is like ours where it's that part we're very similar and you're right when they get that sense that they're in danger Their nervous system shifts into hyper alert. It's a survival mechanism, and they better—they need to survive. But they don't have the cerebral, the front, the prefrontal cortex. They don't have all of that to get in the way and think and rationalize. Because when the threat is gone, they shake out all of that intense energy that went in that hyper alert response, and their nervous system—it goes back to a more normalized, relaxed state, and they go back to eating and. You can see their eyes soften, the hair and the neck relaxes, and they go back to foraging. You know, and just in the in the fields, I've seen it many times. They can do that. We have that same thing. The thing is, we can get stuck.
0: We can interrupt the process.
1: And that's a, that's that's where the problem is. Um, and also, there. What we're talking about first responders. We're also talking about military, and you know, the training, the muscle, the training, muscle training is. Uh, you're supposed you're trained to react very quickly under dangerous situations
0: to have it be almost instinctive
1: it's built in they're training for navy seals never stop training <coughs> and it's and they're the thinkers those are the guys that really are put in all kinds of situations where they they're trained to the gills to so as high as they can be but you know what they're also trained to adapt very quickly in mm-hmm. dangerous situations but the muscle memory nervous system and all is geared toward survival and um i remember when i was in the military in basic training and i i'll never forget it and uh i wasn't a good soldier everybody so i'm not I there's wasn't a disclaimer like fr- here <laughs> yeah my friends well, they were i wasn't but i went through infantry uh, training and um and I was all, went through all of it in advanced infantry training. But one of the things I used to I'll never forget, <clears throat> their training was so intense during the Vietnam era because they wanted us to survive.
0: They were trying to help survive. So they were to trying survive. to help
1: us survive, but it was yeah. brutal. It
0: was harsh. Very harsh.
1: Extremely tough. And we went to situations I didn't go, but everybody else did. I went to a reserve training unit. But I remember, man, when we got done with us, we were ready to fight.
0: I remember too, uh, you have shared, uh, an experience that you had, uh, where you were with your, with your first wife, uh, woken Mm. up in sleep and your muscles had kicked in, uh, in the way you're training and horrified you.
1: Horrified me. I even in basic training. I was not at that time in my life. I had an attitude toward authority. No question about it. And, uh, But I remember saying, I'm not going to let this get to me like it's everybody else, and I'm going to fight it off, and I'm not going to let them break me. Well, in the end, I'll never forget it. They broke me, and they were so happy that I got pretty... uh, Somebody had taunted me, and um, I just about killed them. I'll never forget how fast it happened. And, you know, I remember the drill sergeant standing there letting it happen and watching and being so gleeful Mm -hmm. that Bernstein's been broke. We got him. Yeah. I didn't like it. I no. was I sorry. Was, I, I was like that. No. But you're right. When I went home on my first leave after I forget, three months, I don't remember four months. And my first wife, she, I was sleeping, was exhausted, and she tried to wake me. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget this hour. I couldn't believe it. I had her against the wall, with my hand on her throat, and I wasn't even awake.
0: Yeah.
1: It was that fast, and I remember how terrified she was. I was sickened when it happened and because i knew i would never i remember swearing i'd never let this happen it was in me mm-hmm. my nervous system was ready for battle i was ready to go i think this was after advanced infantry training so it was longer than three months the whole thing it was about six months but i remember i was appalled at myself
0: and this is your your story of this is what gives me among other things a lot of compassion for first responders, military service members who do to their detriment end up burying things because they're so afraid if they let anything out they're going to do something horrific like that
1: I know I know it, and I also we're doing this show because we have empathy and compassion yeah, um, most of the folks that I know are very good people, first responders are the best mm-hmm. as far as what they do they're an extraordinary A lot. Caregivers are extraordinary. Um, And I look at that, and we're doing this because we have compassion, and we do understand. Um, And we want to offer them a way of becoming resilient, that they don't have to stop being prepared for what they have to do, but they have to take care of themselves in between self-care and what forms it may take. That they may they have to learn to decompress that emotional baggage and the energy they've absorbed, and it's very important. Do I think they can just talk it through? I don't. I wish I I, I remember debriefing a number of first responders that I knew, and thinking to myself, "This isn't it." But I'm certainly not going to undermine what they they're coming to me. That was a huge step, mm-hmm. and I don't mean just clinically, but as an expert on what they. I knew they came to me that way, but I didn't want to undermine anything because it was such a big step for them even to talk to me, an outsider. Yeah. But they trusted me. But I'm saying to myself, if they don't get this stuff decompressed and discharged, they're going to get sick. Do you know every person that did this has cancer? I know them for a long time. They did develop cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew it would happen. You can't carry that kind of energy and let it keep building and tough it out to where it's not going to take a toll. Some of the folks I know, it did not break up their marriages. I mean, they were, uh, I, I can attest to that. Their children who grew up have trouble. I know, I know the some of those children are affected, too.
0: Oh, yeah. I want to jump back to a word you used, which is decompress. Um, this is a this is part of what we were talking about earlier about after you have uh, been in hyper alert you are on charged up to handle the emergency in front of you and you need to then have this skill to be able to come back to a more normal state and that's we've used the word decompressing
1: and you need somebody to help you with it it's very hard to do yourself
0: it's not something <clears throat> anyone taught you when you left the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we have worked hard to offer to people who come to us.
1: We specialize in trauma recovery, and I'm glad we do. Um, it's, it's, it's tough to, to convey to them this is essential. If you stay resilient, that you're, it protects your family, it protects you. Uh, it gives hope for you to actually become even better. As a team member, As a husband or wife, as a a mother or father, um, and for somebody to assimilate into civilian life more easily, um, it's very protective. And, you know, I've been doing this work for almost 50 years, and if I didn't do what I do to take care of myself, there's no way I would have lived because um, it, the bombardments are so intense.
0: It's a similar <coughs> bombardment, the work that, that you and I have done, you, for many more years. Mm-hmm. It's a similar emotional intensive bombardment to military service or first responder service. It is. Service. It's, very, it's
1: tough work. and yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from anybody who's on the front lines of danger and doing great work. But we've been on the front lines of our kind of work, and it's tough. Not all of my colleagues have made it. Not all of them lived. It was too much for them. Um, they burned down or passed away.
0: I know your mentor did not live
1: no, a full diamond, lifespan. No, 56 years old did Yeah. And he was only one. I know others have too. Um, but I really uh, took a very active, uh, commi- made an active commitment to make sure. The reason is I wanted to protect my family in my relationship with my wife and my son. But that that really was important to me because I knew how much damage I could do. So uh, for me, it was a life commitment. If I'm gonna protect what I have, then I better take care of myself and I better figure this thing out. And I'm carrying it right through to this day now that my wife is at the end of her life. It's very traumatic and very distressing. But one thing that I do carry with me, and, and uh, people from hospice say, you know, you're a professional at self-care. You know how to do that. So they're right to a degree, <laughs> but I'm not going to take it all away because it's it's so distressing for me to no, see you're my human. wife. You're human. Oh, I'm very human. Yeah. But they're right about one part of it. I do know how to deal with it. And I'm not saying it goes easily. I go through everything except I come through the other side and I come back on my feet, and I get—I keep moving forward, I know that if I didn't know how to decompress and work with the energy and the trapped the tra- trauma in my body that I've absorbed, that either was my own or absorbed from others, I wouldn't make it. Relationships would suffer tremendously. And so would I, because I'd be in so much darn pain. So uh, I i know what I'm talking about, but I'm not as, not as an expert, as a fellow human being who's an empath, one of those empathetic people who've been through a lot in their lives, well, I'm one of them. And that's why I can relate to his Navy SEAL. That's why I can relate to a first responder, a Marine. I look at my whole life as a battle zone and a war zone. Um, The work I do, um, the things I've been through. I've had so many traumas in my life that I've come through. Um, Just reading these newsletters that we wrote and we dusted off, I see one of them describing another trauma I've been through and a wonderful man Pastor Ken Gager passed away. We did a a little... Uh, a tribute. A tribute to him. Mm-hmm. Well, he came into my life at one of those terrible, traumatic times. And he awakened, and it was already happening, my spiritual side of things, and I wasn't exactly a spiritually uh, engaged man. But he was right. And that began to also emerge through all of this. So one of the things that you can say is that there's so many good things that can come out of these... Difficulties.
0: That's one of the main themes of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Is out of adversity can come growth, healing, hope, purpose, so many things that are worth having in it's life. It's
1: so transformative. It's like you'll never be the same person again,
0: and you'll be more the person you were meant to be.
1: Yes, and you'll have a lot deeper and have a lot more empathy for your for your fellow man. So I, I do believe that there's hope, and not only that, I think it can come out of it for the better, and better and better. To prepare you for other challenges, and for first responders, and for caregivers, and for soldiers, I'm telling you, it's essential. Yes, but you've got to have a safe place to do it.
0: Safe place and the skills uh, to do it, and uh, yeah, we will. We we may come back and talk about that some more next time. All right, let me go to. Uh, saying that the Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast has helped you, please consider donating to sctraumatreatment.org. Also, uh, you could like us on Facebook for the Survivor's Guide to Life and Instagram. if okay. we would like to, yes, we would like have like to provide this resource, these uh, articles that we have on relationships and trauma. If you contact me, Jenny, at BernsteinInstitute.com and give me your email address, I would be really happy to send you a copy of these. I think they would be excellent. I think they are so good. We were just talking again about how valuable they are. So that, again, is Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, please join us again next we time. We wish you
1: all well.